You may open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3 again, just like last Lord's Day. Before I read to you from Genesis chapter 3, I'd want to read another verse that's a little unusual in its wording, but I hope that you'll understand it. Jude writes these words, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, keep yourselves in the love of God. Loving God is something we are to work at keeping ourselves doing. Satan, the world, and our flesh does not want to love God. Satan, the world, and our flesh wants to love the world. Keep yourselves in the love of God, praying in the Holy Ghost for it, and building yourselves up on your most holy faith. So I am so simple of a pastor that I want us to spend another week considering the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, because that is the foundation, one of the basic principles of our most holy faith, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and before he could save those sinners with his death on the cross, he had to come into this world, and he came into this world in the lowest parts of it, and that is in a woman's womb. Genesis chapter 3 I want to start at the same place and then take a different course through the Bible at some prophecies of the Lord Jesus Christ coming. Brethren, we were condemned. Because you're not condemned right now, you think you're free. But there's a holy law of God that condemned us all to an eternity in hell. And we were lost and undone without God and without hope in the world. But a Redeemer was sent for us, a glorious Redeemer, and He lives forevermore in heaven. And we're going to see Him someday. And all men who have ever accomplished anything in this life, because the only accomplishments that count are serving the Lord God and His Son, Jesus Christ, they saw Him, they knew of Him, they hoped in Him. And so we want to build ourselves up on our most holy faith. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, God speaking to the serpent said, I will put enmity between thee and the woman and between thy seed and her seed. It, that is the woman's seed, shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his, that is the male seed of the woman's heel. Jesus Christ is here prophesied as far back as our first two parents. Do you know how big, how heavily populated the earth was when this prophecy was given? There were two. There were two, and still the Lord in mercy gives us the first promise of a Redeemer that's coming. Because do you realize that this perfect world of paradise was undone in a moment of time by the serpent and took our parents, our first parents, and destroyed them, destroyed their eternity, and destroyed us and our eternity along with them. How many countless billions? It's too big, great to grasp. 
But immediately he gives a promise that a redeemer is coming. Now let's take a different path through the Bible and see that there hasn't been a hope for the Lord's people of a redeemer. Look at Genesis chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22. Whenever you let, whenever you, you or your children see, and I've mentioned this already this morning, a picture of Mary standing on a snake, which the art gallery at Bob Jones University has many of them. It's Catholic pagan theology. Because Mary would have stood as much chance against Satan as Eve did. It's the Lord Jesus Christ that will bruise the serpent's head. His heel, the seed of the woman, not the woman, but the seed of the woman. And it was a male seed. We come to Genesis chapter 22. Last Sunday, we went from Genesis 3 all the way to Isaiah 7. I want to show you a few others. Genesis chapter 22. In this chapter, God has tempted Abraham to take Isaac and offer him for a sac- and a burnt offering. And the Lord provided a lamb, in pl- a ram in place of Isaac. And then the Lord appears to Abraham and says this to him in verse 15. The angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven the second time and said, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord. For because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, that in blessing I will bless thee, and in multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven and as the sand which is upon the seashore, and thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. That's precious right there. And in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because thou hast obeyed my voice. All the nations of the earth would be blessed through the seed of Abraham. Now is that the Jews? Those Ashkenazi imposters that live in a little strip of sand off the Mediterranean Sea? Or is that, according to Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16, the Lord Jesus Christ? That in the Lord Jesus Christ, all nations of the earth shall be blessed. How carnal that Gentiles would be so foolish as to put the spiritual blessings of Christ into a group of God and Christ-hating men and women in the Middle East. Would to God they had picked the Arabs. The Arabs believe in God far better than the Jews do. It is a travesty and blasphemy to take the spiritual blessings of Christ and put them in a bunch of people that crucified the Lord of glory, whom he said he would leave desolate. And if they were the most wicked generation and group of people the world has ever seen, the prophecy is in the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I will multiply thy seed. That is the numerous progeny of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he says, behold, I am the children which thou hast given me. That's not going to be a small number, brethren. It's going to be a multitude that no man can number. It's a great number. That is the seed here. Multiplied is the sand which is by the seashore and the stars of heaven. We are that seed, and that seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. See, the Jews love that verse, and it's a shame that Gentiles are so stupid as to support them in their nationalistic pride. That seed possessing the gate of his enemy. Who is that? That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Did he ever possess the gate of his enemy? He said, Peter, flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee that I am the Son of God. 
But upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus Christ, by his apostles and the gospel, went right into that gate and took possession of it. Come back tonight for Acts chapter 19. I'll show you it again. We've seen it in almost every chapter in the book of Acts. But I'll show you again tonight in Acts chapter 19. There was a city wholly given to idolatry and sorcery. And it was the city of Ephesus. They were so crazed about their pagan religion that they had a tumult where for two hours they cried out saying nothing but, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Isn't that a precious religion? When all you can do is chant some foolish little statement. Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And the Apostle Paul went into that city, and it says handkerchiefs and aprons were taken from him. And handkerchiefs and aprons, if they came upon a person that had a spirit, drove that spirit out. So much so that gypsies that lived in that city, they wanted to duplicate the Apostle Paul. They were seven sons of one Sceva, a chief priest of the Jews, of the Jews, never wanting to own up to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so they came to a man possessed of devils, and they said, We adjure thee by Jesus whom Paul preacheth. And that one man looked at seven and said, The odds are good. He said, I know Jesus. I've always known him. And I know Paul. I've learned about Paul, but who in the world are you? And that one man jumped on the seven and stripped their clothes off and they ran out of that house naked. And brethren, it tells us something. A city wholly given to idolatry and sorcery had great fear come upon them because there was something going on in the spirit world that they had never seen before. And I want to tell you about I'm telling you about it right now. Amen. This is the seed of Abraham. He is... Lord God, help me to tell you that Jesus Christ is so glorious and so powerful. We never, we don't appreciate him enough. He would possess the gate of his enemies. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And he sent fishermen, fishermen, with his Holy Ghost to the gates of hell. And they took the gates apart. And they possessed those gates. Don't let anyone take prophecies like this and apply them to those people that crucified the Lord of glory. And that God destroyed. We are the true Israel of God. He is not a Jew which is one outwardly, who's had a little cutting in his flesh. Do you know what Paul would say of them? They're the concision. All they are is body mutilators. The true Israel of God, the true Jew is one who's been born again by having his heart circumcised so that we would turn from idols to serve the living God. And brethren, if it wasn't for God turning our hearts, we would be serving idols yet this day. Don't let anyone do that. It all hinges on Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16. It doesn't all hinge there, but most of it's there because there's the, po the potent point. Now the promises were made to Abraham and his seed. The scripture does not say, and to his seeds as of many, but and to thy seed, singular, which is one, which is Christ. Christ Jesus the Lord is the seed of Abraham. And if he be Christ... Galatians 3.29, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Amen. Do you need to have a great deal of education and understanding and mental ability to figure this out? This is simple, but they all miss it. Because I want to tell you why again. He's ordained strength and wisdom out of the mouths of babes and sucklings. Why? So that he can still. What does that mean? Shut up the enemy's 
and the Avengers. Jesus Christ has enemies, and do you know how he's shut them up? He's let them go get all their degrees so that they can confirm to each other their gross ignorance. And he's let his simple people, his saints who will simply trust his word and read it, understand that he is the great seed of Abraham. Genesis chapter 49. Genesis chapter 49. Thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies. Yes. Israel never had a kingdom that could be measured at 1% of the four empires that lived around it. They never possessed the gate of their enemies like the Lord Jesus Christ has possessed the gate of his enemies. The great seed of Abraham. I hope you love him this morning. And if you're wondering to yourself, why do I keep asking that? Let me tell you why again. It's from Jude. Keep yourselves in the love of God. That's why. If you love him enough, all the other issues of living a a life of self-denial and of holiness and godliness in this present world is easy. You believe that, brother? Believe it with me. Genesis chapter 49 and verse 10. Jacob's laying in his bed and he has 12 sons assembled around that bed. And he starts from the oldest and goes to the youngest and gives his blessings or lack of their or lack thereof upon these sons. You would think that the great blessings would be on son number one. But that was Reuben. Reuben didn't get the blessing because Reuben went up and slept with his father's concubine. You'd think it'd be son number two. Let me back up to son number one. Why did a son lose God's blessings upon him and upon his descendants for many generations? Because he didn't keep his vessel in honor as I preached to you last Sunday in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. That's why I backed up to Reuben. You say, do you mean a simple act of fornication with a concubine who wasn't really a wife Do you mean that's enough to cost a man and all of his descendants the great blessings of God? He was the firstborn. That's what God thinks of sin, brethren. And that's what God thinks of sexual sins like fornication. Back to Genesis 49. What about Simeon and Levi, sons two and three? Why were they cut out of God's great blessings? Because they broke a covenant that Jacob made with the sons of Shechem who wanted Dinah, who was their sister, to be a wife. And that whole city, who was more honorable than Simeon and Levi, they all circumcised themselves to meet the condition that Jacob gave to have his daughter. But Simeon and Levi waited until the men of that city were so sore they wouldn't be able to fight, and they went in and slew every male inhabitant of that city. And so God passes them over, and he comes to Judah, son number four. Now, was Judah a good and righteous man? No. No, he wasn't. So what do we have? We have a man with a messed up family. And we have the grace of God. We have the grace of God. And it comes, and he's describing the blessings upon Judah, and he comes to verse 10. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come. And unto him shall the gathering of the people be. And brethren, you shouldn't need to struggle with that verse. Shiloh is the Lord Jesus Christ. God in the flesh. 
Because Shiloh was a place where God was worshipped. And God himself was going to come. And unto him, look at it's a male, it's a man. Unto him shall the gathering of the people be. God in the flesh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And a scepter shall not depart from Judah. Because forever Judah would reign over the kingdom of God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn to Numbers chapter 24. Numbers chapter 24. Can you imagine being in the synagogue in Antioch of Pisidia when the Apostle Paul walked in and they had the courage to say, do you have any word of exhortation for the people? All Paul had was the Old Testament. Did he have enough? The Apostle Paul got up and with the inspiration of the Holy Ghost started at Genesis 3 and worked his way to Malachi 4 and taught the Lord Jesus Christ. That he'd already come. Shiloh has been here and Shiloh is on his throne. And I'm a witness because I've seen him resurrected from the dead. And there's 500 and so other brethren in Judea who are witnesses also. Shiloh has come. What a blessed gospel we have. And the Jews hated it. And the Gentiles loved it. Numbers 24. Who do we have in Numbers? A great prophet of God? We have Balaam. Could Balaam say anything about the Lord Jesus Christ? Listen, when Balaam opened his mouth, he said, whatever God puts in my mouth is what I'm going to say. He told Balak that. You can pay me whatever you want. But all I'm going to say is what God wants me to say. So here in Numbers 24, we have Balaam, the man who rode the ass, the donkey. And the ass spoke to him. This man. Yes, the man who liked to prophesy for money. Verse 17. Well, let's get verse verse 15 so that we don't start without a period before us. Numbers 24, 15, and he took up his parable and said, Balaam the son of Beor hath said, and the man whose eyes are open hath said, he hath said, which heard the words of God and knew the knowledge of the Most High, which saw the vision of the Almighty, falling into a trance, but having his eyes open. Now that's quite an introduction, isn't it? Would you say that God has given him a little bit of understanding? What is he going to say? Look at this. I shall see him, but not now. I shall behold him, but not nigh. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab and destroy all the children of Sheth. Now who is paying him? The king of Moab. What a prophecy. This is not the way to win friends and influence people. Verse 18, And Edom shall be a possession. Seir also shall be a possession for his enemies. And Israel shall do valiantly. Out of Jacob shall come he that shall have dominion and shall destroy him that remaineth of the city. There is a prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ, a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, just as we read in Genesis chapter 49. Look at these prophecies. These are prophecies that you would want to memorize as an Israelite and keep and remember that there was a deliverer coming. We have a deliverer, and he's king of our kingdom. Is he your Lord this morning? Do you love him this morning? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. A star would come out of Jacob. Now listen, this country likes to talk about stars, and all they are are perverts that live in Hollywood and have to do whatever they do 20 or 30 times before they can get it good enough 
to be able to put over on the American people. That's called takes in the film industry. They're perverts, and we call them stars. The other perverts play games with little round balls. Some balls are bigger than some of the other balls, and they play foolish little games, and we call them stars. I'll tell you about a star. It's the star that came out of Jacob, and his name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he doesn't play games, and he's not a pervert. He's the holy Lord God, separate from sinners, undefiled, and he's sitting in heaven at the right hand of all power. And he's the one we should love. And he should be the role model for all men, women, and children. Stars. He's a star. He's the only star. He's the bright morning star. Do you want to keep talking about stars in the word of God? He is the star. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy 18. Who was the greatest hero of the nation of Israel? Moses. Those people, probably two and a half million, basing it on 600,000 men that could fight, were in Egypt, severely oppressed by the Egyptians. And a man came to be their deliverer, and it was the man Moses. And he was great. The Lord God says he was great in the New Testament. He's mentioned numerous times. And Moses, just before he died, had this to say. Because he was about to die, and all those people could look at him and realize, Moses is old and he's about to die. We're going to lose this champion. And here we are out in the middle of the wilderness. We're not even in Canaan, and we're not in Egypt. What's going to happen to us? And so here's here's the message of God. Deuteronomy 18, verse 18. I will raise them up a prophet from among their brethren, like unto thee. And will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak unto them all that I shall command him. And it shall come to pass that whosoever will not hearken unto my words, which he shall speak in my name, I will require it of him. That's the Lord Jesus Christ, a prophet like unto Moses, except far better than Moses. But it was a man, a mediator between God and Israel. They wanted a man that could speak with them. God sent one, the Lord Jesus Christ. Turn toward the end of your Old Testament to Micah chapter 2. Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5. But thou Bethlehem Ephratah, because there were two Bethlehems in Israel, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, Yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old, from everlasting. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. He was born in Bethlehem, Ephratah, and he was the Lord of glory, and he reigned over his people Israel. Turn a few pages to the book of Haggai. To the right. A few pages to the book of Haggai, chapter 2. The Israelites have rebuilt their temple in Jerusalem. After the Babylonian captivity, they're discouraged sorely because it's so small and insignificant compared to the glorious temple that Solomon had built. And yet the Lord says to them in verse 6, Yet once, of chapter 2, Haggai 2.6, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations, 
and the desire of all nations shall come, and I will fill this house with glory, saith the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, saith the Lord of hosts. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former, saith the Lord of hosts. And in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. That is a glorious prophecy of the desire of all nations. Because in this seed should all nations be blessed. This is the seed of Abraham. This is Christ the Lord. And he would give peace in that place. And isn't that what we studied last Sunday night? When Jesus Christ said it is finished and commended his spirit into the hands of his father, the veil tore in half from top to bottom because peace had been made between God and men. There was no longer that veil up. It was broken by the body of our Lord Jesus Christ and destroyed forever so that we can go boldly into the presence of God because peace has been made and perfected forever. Prophecies of the Lord Jesus Christ, the desire of all nations. I could continue, but I won't. Brethren, I want to claim the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ from Catholic superstition. That's what I told you last Sunday. Those little people who in their ignorance never think about what they're doing and celebrate a Mass and call themselves Baptists. It's the height of heresy and blasphemy to associate the birth of Jesus Christ with a Mass. They give gifts to one another. They care little for the Lord Jesus Christ. They love the sentimental feelings and the warm and fuzzies that they get sitting around a tree with little lights on it in the corner of their living room. It is traditional superstition and sentimentality. Rome established that tradition, and Baptists, God forgive them, follow in her footsteps. Combining the memory of the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ with a holiday to the sun called a Mass. That same church symbolizes Mary as the Queen of Heaven, the Mother of God, and have prayers to her. And claim that if you ever want to get a prayer answered by God, you should pray through Mary. Because Mary in heaven will look over at the Son of God and unbutton her blouse. And let one of her breasts out. That Jesus can look upon and remember that he nursed at that breast. And you will surely get your petition. And if any of you think that I'm exaggerating, you've never read any Catholic literature. The first Mary Alter was in the book of Luke. Who said, blessed are the paps which thou hast sucked. And what did Jesus say? Yea, rather. Much more than that. These people that want to hear my word and believe it are disciples and blessed. I kid you not about what I just told you. And if you think I'm too graphic for the pulpit, read your Bibles. You'll then understand me. This is We're, we're in a serious battle for truth against error. Do you want to know how your prayers are answered? Invoke the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said that his Father would give anything if you pray in my name. Invoke the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you want to get the heart of God? Then go after his son that he bruised and whose blood was shed and his body broken. Mary, are you kidding me? Mary needed that Savior as much as we do. So much for Rome. She wants to limit Jesus, and so do Baptists, either to pitiful manger scenes or crucifixes hanging around their neck on a chain or on a cross in the house. Do crucifixes bother you? Yes. I remember, brother. I remember. 
Our Jesus isn't hanging on a crucifix and he's not in a manger, brethren. He's the Lord of glory and he's sitting on a throne. Will we prostrate ourselves before him and own him as Lord of our lives and that we love him as our Savior and our brother? And then she wants to make his sonship from some eternal generation in the Godhead. Unbelievable. And what do the Baptists come along? They come along and bow down and kiss the toe of that statue in Rome by sucking up to these doctrines that she has created and perpetuated. May God have mercy upon us. We're going to rescue the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ because it's ours, because he's our Savior, and we're going to hold the Scriptures and deliver Jesus from such ridiculous superstition. Women who've conceived and had a child should be able to relate to what I tell you about the birth of Jesus more than I can. I've tried to meditate about it, but I've never had a child move inside me. But I tried to think about it. Did you know that Jesus moved inside Mary? Is that phenomenal? Is that phenomenal? She knew she hadn't known a man. Joseph and Mary, what a couple. He didn't know her for nine months. And she would have said to Joseph, he's moving. And they would have been filled with such wonder that God was manifest in the flesh. Unbelievable. Do you believe me? I believe it. I tell you about it. It's glad tidings of good things. Wow. A star shall come out of Jacob. Mm -hmm. The seed of Abraham shall possess the gates of his enemies. Yes, indeed. The Lord Jesus Christ. Brethren, our religion is based on a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you want to know where I get that thought from and why I press that so much and why it may be a great, a different emphasis than what there ever was before in your relationship with me, it's because of Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11, where the Apostle Paul was not content with his life, but he, he still wanted to know him. And he said, I have not attained, but I want to attain. And he pressed And he pressed for more knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's what I want for all of you, and it's what I want for me. It's the craving of my soul, and I'm not content with my life. And I I don't want you to be content with your life without knowing him more. In my prayer this morning, I said, and I want to say to you again, although I said it to the Lord, the whole drama of human existence from the creation of Adam and Eve until the final judgment all centers around the person of Jesus Christ because it's through the person of Jesus Christ that God displays His glorious truth and grace and His power and His wrath all in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything is in Christ. He said, search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of Me. He is the center of the universe. I know that some of you went mountain climbing yesterday. I know that some of you have been out on the sea. And I know that we're supposed to consider the heavens but from Psalm 8. But when we consider the heavens and when we consider mountain grandeur and when we consider the sea and all the things that move in it and 15-foot sharks, Brother Matthew, when we consider all those things, there's no glory there compared to the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if in your heart 
they're equals. If in your heart there's other things in your life that are equal to the pleasure you get from the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a problem. And what you ought to do about that problem is spend more time in prayer and fasting if necessary and reading his word and listening attentively to me, the servant of Christ, preach to you for you to come to love him more. You have a problem. I've had a problem in the past. Ancient past. Can I call over a year and a half ancient past? Amen. The Lord's been very good to me. And I praise his holy name. He's restored my soul. And there's one great love I have. And it's one great love I want to increase. And it's the love of Jesus Christ. And I want that same for you. If you get pleasure out of anything in this life that can compete with the pleasure of hearing, singing, thinking, meditating, and praying about the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a spiritual problem. I've been there. That's a lean soul if anything in this life can even come close. I want you to love the Savior. We went to Matthew chapter 1, and we read a verse that said, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. And we had explained to us about Joseph. Then we went to Luke chapter 1, and that's where we want to go right now and consider a few more things about the birth of Jesus our Lord. He died for us to redeem us from our sins, but he couldn't have died unless he took upon him human nature, and he did in the womb of a woman. Unbelievable. Mary, Mary believed it. When I say unbelievable, what I mean by that is not that we wouldn't believe it because God's told it to us, but it is beyond human imagination that God came up and designed such a glorious way of salvation. In Luke chapter 1, We had the angel Gabriel come and speak to Mary and explain to her what was going to happen to her. This began in verse 26, and we read down to verse 38. That angel explained that she was about to have a son, and she was to call that son's name Jesus, verse 31. That son was going to be great, take the throne of his father David, and reign forever. And she said, how can this be? being that I don't know a man. She was a virgin and confident in her virginity. And I love that about her. She was a pure woman. I can tell you that if God chose a woman like this, this woman had embodied the things that God says are beautiful in a woman. She had a meek and quiet spirit. You can tell by the way, I'm going to show you that as we read her prayer and her blessing. The way she responds to the angel, this was a meek and quiet spirited woman. This was a pure woman. She was a virgin. She wasn't barely a virgin. She was a pure, chaste virgin. She was one confident in her virginity. That's why she wanted to know, how can I have a son? Because I know not a man. And there's not a man close. How can this be? She wasn't messing around. She was a pure woman. I can tell you that she prayed because she knew her Lord God. Wait till you hear her prayer. She was a woman of prayer like Hannah was in 1 Samuel chapter 2. You can't pray like this when it's the first time you've tried it. The things of this life were not most important to her. I wrote all of you recently. Prayer was more important to her than her makeup. I wrote to the women recently and said, 
There ought to be more shame to come to this morning assembly not having prayed for this assembly. And I don't mean some flippant little prayer on your way here in the car. There ought to be more shame not having prayed for this assembly than shame coming without makeup. But I know women of the 20th century and the 21st century, their greatest shame is that they would be seen without their makeup. May God save us from a distortion that this society has forced upon us. That is one of the least of a woman's concerns. Show me a verse in the New Testament that tells me that a New Testament saint, female, is supposed to be attractive. I'll show you where she is supposed to be sober and chaste and good and holy with a meek and quiet spirit that is in the sight of God of great price. That she is to set her affection on things above and not on things in the earth. And when I read about Mary here, and I've been provoked greatly by her, and the Lord sent her to me while my heart was already impassioned over this subject, Because our society is stealing the women. This woman was not interested in the things of this world. She she was spiritually minded. To be carnally minded is death, my brethren and my sisters. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. How is she going to conceive? The angel says in verse 35, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. We love that verse. But let's not just love that verse for the theology that we learn from that verse, and that is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God by his incarnation and birth birth from Mary. But let us also look at that of the glorious transaction that took place when the highest overshadowed that young woman. What a miracle! What did Jesus look like? We're not told. Do you know why we're not told? Because if we were told, there'd be ten times as many images as we have, and we've got too many as it is now. Do you think God was wise enough to make Jesus look like Joseph? I believe that. Do you know why? Because in Matthew chapter 13 and verse 55, all the people that knew him said, Is not this the carpenter's son? He's a blessed God. And he sent, our, he sent our Lord Jesus Christ into this world with wisdom. But she conceived, and you women who've had children, she had Emmanuel, God with us, growing inside her. But before we get to that, let's, let's see Mary meet her cousin Elizabeth. The, the Lord God and Gabriel, to comfort Mary, told her, Elizabeth has conceived also. You know, she's your cousin that everyone knows to be barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible, whether it's a barren woman on that end or a virgin woman on the young end. Nothing is impossible with God. And Mary said in verse 38, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. What faith, what humility, and what modesty we read in that one verse from Mary. And Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste. I love that. 
with haste. She made a beeline for Elizabeth, her cousin, into a city of Judah and entered into the house of Zacharias and saluted Elizabeth. How do you think she saluted her? Hey, how you doing? Anybody here think that? Or did she salute like they do in the book of Ruth? The Lord be with thee. The Lord bless you. The Lord be magnified. Those are three salutes mentioned in the Old Testament that I can think of right offhand. But she saluted Elizabeth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. You know, there have been some leaping Baptists. And this is the first one. Some Baptists who got excited about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, don't you think I'm playing games? If you can sit and not have in your heart zeal and love for Jesus Christ and glory of Christ filling up your heart, you have a problem. If it, do, if it doesn't happen to me, I've got a problem. Here was the first leaping Baptist. He was really the first Baptist, but he was a leaping Baptist because the presence of Mary that was to be the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ was enough for this young child in his mother's womb to leap. And the Bible tells us he leaped for joy. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. And she spake out with a loud voice. See, that's what people do when they're excited about something. When I watch a football game or what was it this past Monday? See, I've forgotten already. I guess it was the NCAA Basketball Championship. It's how we keep certain members of our nation happy, letting them run up and down and jump up and down and stick little balls in bushel baskets. But they were loud. They were loud. And it's a shame that when we sing, sometimes, or when we're talking about these things, there isn't that same force and zeal and passion behind it because we ought to be excited about the Lord Jesus Christ. There's only two women here, Mary and Elizabeth. Why does she need to speak loudly? Because there's pent-up demand. There's pent-up force inside her that wants to let itself out in praise to God. And she spake out with a loud voice and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? What humility on the parts of these women. What humility. What, what am I that I should be worthy of a visit of the mother of my Lord? Boy, if David, if David called him Lord, look at Elizabeth calling a, a child that's not yet conceived. You'll tell from it's still future tense here calling an unconceived child her Lord. Wow. This is the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Whose son is he? He's the son of God. For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in mine ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. May God give us some of that joy to leap for the Lord Jesus Christ. And blessed is she that believed. Oh, these are precious words right here. Mary believed, and Zacharias, Elizabeth's husband, did not. So, Elizabeth says, blessed is she that believed, because poor Zacharias was dumb for nine months. 
believe. And so Elizabeth praises her for her faith. For there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. And that's why I say as of verse 45, Mary has not yet conceived. It's about to happen. And we don't know exactly when it happened. But here we're, it's still in the future tense because Elizabeth, who's filled with the Holy Ghost, says, There shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. The power of the highest would overshadow her. The Holy Ghost would come upon her, and she'd have a conception, and it would be a son, and his name would be called Jesus, and he would be great. How does Mary respond to a blessing like this from an older woman who's the wife of a priest? How does she respond? And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord. Do you love her? As, as an example of Christian womanhood, she didn't say, magnify me, my cousin. That's what the Catholics say she would say. Magnify me. A couple Hail, a couple Hail Marys, please, Elizabeth. No, she said, my soul doth magnify the Lord. She just didn't magnify the Lord with her mouth. My soul doth magnify the Lord. My soul lifts up the Lord, not herself. You're going to see in this blessing that she now gives, and it's called the Magnificat, because it's magnificence in the, in the way that it magnifies the Lord, right from the very first words. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior, for he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden, for, behold, from henceforth all generations shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He hath showed strength with his arm. He hath scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent empty away. He hath holpen his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. The words of Mary. My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. This was no lip service to the Lord. This was from her soul and from her spirit. If your soul and your spirit are not in love with the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a spiritual problem that can be remedied. Amen. Humble yourself, repent of your affection and attraction to this world, and seek that love through prayer, fasting, Bible reading, singing, meditation, and hearing the preaching of his word, and beg God for it. It will come. And anything short of that, you are a failure as a Christian. I'm a failure as a Christian. If we just have a body of doctrine in our heads mentally, so that we can refute error, we do not know Christ yet. We must know Him and love Him, and be willing to die for Him, and be willing to forgive those who are killing us, because He's forgiven us so much. Do you see any pride or arrogance in these verses? None. She blesses the Lord. I love expressions like, holy is his name. 
not holy is my name. You'd be surprised if you read Catholic literature. Mm -hmm. Holy is his name. How about he has exalted them of low degree? What is Mary saying of herself? Low degree. What does she call herself in verse 48? The low estate of his handmaiden. Because God was her savior. She was lifted up by the power of God and blessed by the Lord. Some will go into verses 46 and 47 and teach from that 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 Mary is speaking right there about her eternal salvation by the grace of Christ. I do not believe that. I believe that the salvation or consideration in these two verses is the very same way the word salvation is used in 1 Samuel chapter 2. And that is Hannah delivered from her enemies of not having a child and having a barren womb in, in, to having a child. And it's the same here with Mary because verse 48 begins with that four, explaining why she's magnifying the Lord and rejoicing in God her Savior. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden and done something to me that will make me blessed in future generations, and that's to be the mother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, she gets to salvation. She gets to salvation in verse 54 when she says, He hath hope in his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. And that is salvation. Because that includes heaven itself, because those are the promises made to Abraham. What a blessed prayer. This is what women should look at and consider. Does my heart, soul and spirit reflect the soul and spirit of Mary and seek to have a spirit like this? Now, she stayed with Elizabeth, and Elizabeth brought forth John. And there are some prophecies here given by Zacharias about John. But come over to Luke chapter 2, where we see a little bit more about the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Back there in that prayer, she praised God in all respects for his goodness, not herself. She praised God from her soul and spirit rather than just with her lips. She praised God for his sovereign dispensing of mercy. Did you notice how he has sent the rich away empty and the hungry he has filled? Because that is God's sovereign grace in undoing what men think that they've accomplished by reversing the order of men's of the success of men. And she praises God for the spiritual hope in his mercy toward Abraham. She absolutely rejected all the fables and perversions of Roman Catholicism. There's nothing here said about St. Anne. Why didn't she mention her dear mother, St. Anne? You didn't know that her mother was St. Anne? Haven't you read that before in your Bible? Roman Catholic heresy. Why didn't she say something about her perpetual virginity? Because she was looking forward also to getting with Joseph after they, after they had their firstborn son, to be a good woman. Why didn't she say something about her ascension into heaven? Because she never died and was buried like other women. All Catholic heresies. Are the young women of this church as virtuous and pure as this wonderful woman, so that God would have no problem in looking upon the women of this assembly to find one like Mary. And are you all thankful for the glorious miracle in Mary's womb that created the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen. I read in Luke chapter 2 that a, 
a decree went out from Caesar Augustus for the whole world to be taxed, and Joseph took his espoused wife. That is, a wife by contract. They were married because Matthew chapter 1 told us they were married. So when we look at the word espoused, we see it in its second sense, and that is contracted. They were husband and wife, legally and officially. Takes her to Bethlehem, and verse 6 tells us, And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. Can you just imagine for a moment, she's got that 20 to 50 pound belly that has a moving child in it she's never seen yet, and she knows that it's the Lord of glory. What's he going to look like? What will he treat me like? How should I take care of him? You know, the Lord takes care of her in all these matters, and the Bible doesn't show her fretting or worrying about any of those things. I love her. She trusted in God. She was a believer. She had great faith. She's great with child. Joseph takes her with him for the census that it goes along with the taxation to make sure everyone's accounted for. And verse 6, And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son. She had more sons. We know of four of them by name. And she wrapped him in swaddling clothes, just like mothers wrap their young infants today, and laid him in a manger. Mothers don't do that very often because there was no room for them in the inn. She had to give birth in the lowest parts of this earth, in the humility of a barn or stable, because the Lord Jesus Christ was humiliated to come into this world to be one of us. And he didn't come in in a palace, but I want to tell you right now he's in one. Amen. Uh, he's, in a pa- he's in a pavilion that I think about often. He's in a pavilion with ensigns flying and banners around him, and angels singing his praises, and he fills that pavilion with glory, and there's no enemy that can even approach it. None can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? Amen. He is a mighty king Amen. in the palace of heaven above. But he came into this world in humility, part of which was to give us an example that we ourselves should be humble with one another. And it was laid in a manger, which... For the, because none of us have kept animals. Hardly any of us know what a manger is, but that's that little V-shaped chunk of wood that allows feed to be put in there, and animals are able to stick their heads through and eat that feed, a manger. And there the Lord Jesus Christ was laid in humility. But brethren, the Lord couldn't let that event go by without a little excitement in heaven and on earth. And so while in the quietness of that stable and barn, Mary gives birth to that baby, and you women can relate, and that child comes forth, and that umbilical cord is cut, yes, there's a separate DNA, yes, there's a separate blood type in the Lord Jesus Christ, just like in every conception, he was made in all points like as we are, yet without sin and without a human father. And that child was laid in a manger, and in the quietness, those two parents sat and looked, at Emmanuel, God with us. Don't imagine a halo. Imagine swaddling clothes and hay and a crying baby and a mother that could nurse that baby into quietness. But while it was quiet in the stable, here's what was happening outside. And this is why I love the Lord, because he made me with some spirit. And when I look in the word of God and see that he's got it, 
and the men that have loved him the most had it. It excites me, and I hope that it excites you to be as passionate about the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 8, And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. These angels didn't come like Gabriel did to Mary. These angels came in glory. And there was a great light of glory round about them. And the angels were sore afraid. Verse 10, And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David. David was from Bethlehem. A Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Is that the Lord Jesus Christ? Amen. Because what was that Savior named? Jesus. Was he Christ? Was he Lord? Is he Savior? Was it all announced right there? Beautiful. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. They didn't go to any hospital or palace looking for this baby. And suddenly, I love the dramatic intensity of the Lord's worship of his own son. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Those angels announced goodwill toward men. When we sang this morning that he's the savior of mankind, he is the savior of men, as opposed to the savior of angels. They announced goodwill toward men. Wow, what a night. Is that better than the final four? What a night. And it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste. Brethren, if there's something to do for the Lord Jesus Christ, we should do with haste. Mary went with haste. The shepherds went with haste. Why wait? Why delay? This is the most exciting thing in life. If it's not, and it's my fault, I'm sorry. But I want to tell you something. By the power of the Holy Ghost, you can get something even out of me. If your heart's in the right place. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen it, They made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Mary hears this explanation of what the shepherds said over here. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. I'll bet she'd been reading a little bit of her Old Testament for the last nine months so that these statements about the Lord were probably quite vivid to her, that the child that was laying there in that manger was the Lord and was Christ. Wouldn't you have picked up your Bible reading a little bit? Let's pick ours up because we're reading about it. What they do next with Jesus? They waited 40 days. They waited eight days. They waited eight days. I'm getting ahead of myself. 
Verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them, everything exactly as the angels had testified. And when eight days were accomplished for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, Amen. capital J-E-S-U-S. Luke chapter 2 and verse 21, which was so named of the angel before he was conceived in the womb, both to Joseph and and to Mary, his name shall be called Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. They have an eight-day-old baby in their hands, and I've seen this before. I don't know if they had Velcro jackets for the little boy in order to keep his hands out of the way, but he was circumcised at eight days according to the law of Moses because he was born under the law. When the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law. Galatians chapter 4 and verse 4. But I want to tell you the law was about to end, and so was the rite of circumcision about to end, as far as any religious rite, because the Bible says the law and the prophets were until John, since that time the kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. But they're holding an eight-day-old baby, Jesus, and they circumcise him, and at the point of circumcision he's to be named, and they name him Jesus as they had been told. Now, 40, 32 days after that. And when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were accomplished, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And here's the explanation, in case you didn't have your Old Testament with you. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male that openeth the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. The firstborn male of a woman was very important, and Jesus was the firstborn, as we've been told a couple of times. And they brought him to present him to the Lord to offer a sacrifice according to that which is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, the poor offering for dedication of this male child. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Ghost was upon him. Now this man had read his Old Testament and knew that the time frame for the Lord Jesus Christ was upon them. And he was waiting for this consolation. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came with a spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then he took him up in his arms and blessed God. Simeon walks into the temple. The Holy Ghost is in him, talking to him, saying, See that young couple over there? See that little baby they have? That's the Lord's Christ. That is the Son of God. But when the Holy Spirit speaks, Simeon knew that it was true. Simeon went and took that little child in his hands, I have in his arms. I have loved this passage to think about this devout man waiting for the consolation of Israel. He gets to see the Lord Jesus Christ as a 40-day-old infant boy, and he knows he's the Son of God and the Savior of God's elect. And he takes this little baby in his arms. And he blessed God. And he said, And this is how our hearts should be. Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace, according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of thy people Israel. That should be our heart. Once we've seen the Lord Jesus Christ, what else is there to see? 
Europe? Are you kidding me? The Far East? Are you kidding me? Another promotion? You've got to be kidding. Once we've seen Christ, what else is there to accomplish in a lifetime? This should be our ambition. Don't thank me crazy, brethren. I am not crazy. This is the difference between spiritual Christianity and carnal Christianity. is seeing and knowing and loving the Lord Jesus Christ so much in meaning to us and so full to us that nothing else in life matters? It was to Simeon. Would to God that there were Simeons in this assembly, that we were made up of nothing but Simeons and Annas. What a blessing. Lord, I can die in peace now because mine eyes have seen thy salvation. And Joseph and his mother, verse 33. Now, brethren, if you aren't using the right Bible, it's going to say, and his father and his mother. Yep, it does. Luke 2, 33. But it says Joseph and his mother because Joseph was not truly his father. And so every now and then we're reminded by the Spirit of God, remember that the father of this child was God himself. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. They were, they were amazed at what the shepherds said. Now what Simeon says. And Simeon blessed them and said unto Mary his mother, Behold, this child, 40 days old, is set for the fall and rising again of many in Israel and for a sign which shall be spoken against. This child is going to create great division in the, nat- in the nation of Israel. Yea, and here are horrible words to a mother with a 40-day-old baby. Yea, a sword shall pierce through thine own soul also. Now the next words refer back to verse 34, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Jesus Christ was going to be a sign that would be spoken against, and the only ones that would believe on him were those that were given the light of understanding by the Spirit of God to believe on him, because it would reveal the hearts of most men. Because most men would not believe on him, because they might lose their place in the synagogue. Here Mary has a warning of what's going to happen. And if she was familiar with the word of God, Isaiah 53, and places like that, she might have warnings about what was going to happen. Psalm 22, Psalm 16, A sword shall pierce through thy own soul also. But do you remember what happened on the cross last Sunday night? As that woman stood there beholding her son on the cross, and a, and a sword pierced through her heart, but the Lord Jesus Christ assigned the Apostle John to love her and to take care of her for the rest of her life. He didn't forget her, even hanging on the cross. And there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and had lived with an husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and eighty-four years, which departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. I haven't gone that far yet, brethren. Is this woman crazy? No. Is this woman crazy, or is this a truly spiritually minded woman? No one wants to answer me, but I'm going to tell you, this is a spiritually minded woman. And what did she do with her whole life? She departed not from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. May God be praised that there are some in the earth who truly loved 
him and his son Jesus Christ. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Obviously, the Holy Ghost is blessing her also with recognizing Jesus Christ as the Savior. And when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. The child grew and waxed strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. That's the Lord Jesus Christ growing. At 12 years of age, he's in the temple, asking questions and answering questions of the doctors of the law. And he has to remind his mother at 12 years of age that he needs to be about his father's business. But I want you to notice something about him and his, the relationship with his mother. Verse 51, And he came down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. Everything that Jesus said, Mary kept a hold of. Even this, don't you know I must be about my father's business? And brethren... He wasn't hammering and nailing anything. He was in the temple answering and asking questions about the law of God, keeping doctors entertained. And he called it his father's business. And Mary kept those thoughts in her heart. Did he know his father's business? Did he know what he had to do? Did he know what he had to do as soon as he reached the prime of life? At 30 years of age, he turned into the enemy of Israel. And then he was crucified three and a half years later for our sins. He knew his father's business. And Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Do you believe what I've told you this morning? Amen. The seed of the woman has come 2,000 years ago. And as I taught you last Sunday night, he laid down his life on the cross in a most glorious way. And he is a glorious Savior. He's been raised from the dead. He's sitting at God's right hand. He's a Savior forevermore. And he's perfected forever. Those that are sanctified. You put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and lay hold of him and believe on him and strive to serve him. And you can know that you'll never be ashamed because he will deliver you from the death that's to come, even the second death, and will own you as his own child before the universe, and take you into heaven to live with him forever and ever. It's the blessed hope. He's coming for us. He's now King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ, of a virgin, by the power of the living God. Therefore, Jesus Christ is the Son of God. May he be praised by this message. Amen.